Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Be in your house to worship you, uh, to draw close to you. We ask that your presence would be among us and that we would experience you, that we would go from here changed by your grace and by your love, that you would be at work in our lives and in our hearts, that this Christmas might be a, a year in which we experience you every day of Advent and celebrate your birth. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 7. Um, I, I have a question for you first and kind of put this in context for us. Uh, when you buy a Christmas present, uh, what thoughts go into that process? Well, when you, what, what helps you make that decision? Uh, there you are, Black Friday, 600 people, and, and there it is in front of you. Uh, is that the gift? How do you know that that's the gift you want to buy? What is it that that informs that decision. You see, we, we live in a world where we're constantly making decisions. And sometimes it's hard to make the correct decision. And whether we know it or not, we have put priorities on things so that we could make decisions. You in your, in your life somehow have formed uh, values and priorities to try to make certain decisions in your life. In this morning's passage, there's a king by the name of Ahaz. Ahaz is the king of Judah, and he's in a tough spot. You see, there are two other kings that have made an alliance in this little region in which Judah finds itself. The king of Aram, or Damascus, or Samaria, depending on uh, how, you, how, you, uh, how your Bible translates that. And, and then the, the king of Israel. Um, and these two kings have made an alliance, and they're coming to attack Ahaz. And you see, the problem is, Ahaz has this affinity towards the superpower known as Assyria, and it's up to the north. And these other two kings are kind of feeling led a little bit by the superpower to the south, uh, which is Egypt. And so this alliance, who is kind of pushing towards Egypt, and there's Ahaz, who's kind of pushing towards Assyria. So this alliance is trying to force Ahaz to join them with Egypt as opposed to Assyria. Does that make any sense? That's a lot of history. I know it's early for history. Uh, but, but that's important to know. So Ahaz is in a tough spot. Is he going to go with the alliance, or is he going to go with the superpower Assyria? Who's he going to ally himself with? What's the best decision? And along comes this guy named Isaiah. And Isaiah is pushing Ahaz in a totally different direction. Isaiah is saying, Ahaz, it's time not to trust in some military power, not to trust in some political power, not to trust in some economic power, not to trust in some relational power. It's time for you to trust in God. And Ahaz has always waffled when it comes to God. Now, there were times when it was okay to trust in God, other times when he felt he had to be in control. Sound familiar? And so Isaiah has come to Ahaz and says, trust in God. And Ahaz says, well, I don't know if I can do that. And in chapter 7, verse 10 of the book of Isaiah, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord 
to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear me now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. May God add God's blessing to the reading and the hearing of this God's most holy word. That you are a shield. That you lift us up when we're down. That you surround us and protect us as we call upon your name. That you walk before us and behind us. That you lead us in paths of righteousness. That you show us your way. That you give us hope that, Lord Jesus, you have come not just so that we could feel better about ourselves, but so that we could be a force in your world to be used by you, that you might work in the lives of others, that you might change not just us, but them as well. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are continually making us more like you. And we would pray this morning that when we leave, we'd be more like you than when we came because we heard your voice and we responded to you. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me though I'm unworthy except by your incredible grace. And Lord, that you would receive all the praise and the glory this morning for all that's said and done. You might be lifted high. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So would anybody be willing to share with me uh, what goes into your decision when you're looking for a gift for someone? What... What types of things go through your head? How, how do you choose the gift that you want to give to someone else? What? Help me out. Help me out. Who? who? They said they wanted it. Good. Do they need it? Am I going to like it when they give it back to me? Oh, I see what kind of gifts you get. Yes. Okay, yeah, if it worked last year, it'll work again this year. We'll pray for you. Yeah, okay. Yes. What do they like? Okay, good, good. Yeah. The cost of the gift. Uh, does, does that, is that affected based on the relationship to the person? Or the budget of the person buying the gift? Yes, sir. Uh, Brian. Okay, you want to know if, if the person you love is going to like what you get. Anyone else? All those, all those are good things, right? Those are the things that, that we put into that decision. Will it benefit them? Do they need it? Do they want it? Um, all those things go into our decision when we make a decision based what gift would connect with them. I, I always like to think through who the person is and, and how, how does this fit in that person's life. Um, in other words, uh, like you said, is it something they'd like? Is it something that would, uh, would reflect who they are? Sometimes I like to, to do that. So if I buy you a gift, don't think of that. <laughs> no. Um, in this morning's passage, um, uh, we're starting our series entitled Breaking the Silence. Breaking the Silence. Now, silence is an interesting thing. Um, there are times... When I like silence. And then there are other times. You ever been in a crowded elevator? With nobody talking? And everybody looking at the numbers? You've never been in that situation. 
Yeah, because Kenny's the guy who talks. Somehow I don't find that unusual, Kenny. Somehow I, I can understand that. Uh, Tony Campolo used to talk. He, he liked to stand when he, he always stood at the door. So when the door closed, he turned around. He figured he had a, a, a contained audience. He could um, share with them uh, what was on his heart. Uh, but, but there are those awkward times, isn't there, when it's silent? I, I want you to think about in your relationship, in particular in the most po- important relationships, when it really gets silent, then it becomes almost agitated doesn't it? When you know they're thinking something, what is it you want to say? Come on, let out, come on, uh, you know, and you're sitting there and, and you, if you're like me, you begin to think of all the things they might be thinking. They're upset. They're angry. They're, they may not be upset or angry at all, but they're not saying anything, so I don't know. And so it becomes an agitated time, and you begin to wonder, well, what's going on here? You need to know that when Jesus appeared in the first century, it had been 400 years since the people of God had heard a word from God. Before then, the prophets were speaking on behalf of God. And so the the people of God, the kings and the the spiritual leaders and the regular people knew that God was engaged, that God was for them, that God cared about them. He was constantly talking to them, sharing with them through the prophets. And the prophets continually shared and challenged them. and, and, And they said, oh, this is great. Except they thought it was great, but they wouldn't do what the prophets said. And God kept telling them what they needed to do. And God was preparing them for, for the, the word that he was going to give, that ultimate word. And they weren't listening. And so he decided to do what some of you have done before, I'm sure. And what once in a while, not very often, I will do in the sermon. And I don't because some people fill in the space. It's called a pregnant pause. What's the purpose of a pregnant pause? Yeah, hopefully it gives you an opportunity to think. Sometimes it forces you to listen. It's that moment when all of a sudden it's quiet. And you're sitting there trying to figure out, where is this going? What does this really mean? How does this all fit together? And I believe that when God stopped speaking... When God became quiet, it wasn't because he was angry. It wasn't because he didn't care about the people anymore. He was listening. He knew what was going on. He was engaged. He was concerned. But he was waiting to speak that ultimate word. He had something important to say. And the quietness got their attention. As a matter of fact, many in the middle of the quietness went back to what the prophets had said to try to hear what is God saying, what what was God's purpose, where is God heading? And I would encourage you, when you're trying to make a decision, it's a good place to go. Go back to the Bible. Go back to the prophets. Listen, what is God trying to say? And God got real quiet, 400 years worth. You're, You're uncomfortable after two minutes. Can you imagine? And all of a sudden, God spoke the ultimate word. For you see, out of that pregnant pause came the word of God. The word of God 
not a new revelation. By the way, be very clear. Jesus' birth was not a new revelation. It wasn't God saying something new, something different. He'd been saying it all along. He'd been talking about this promised child. In Isaiah here, the virgin will be with child and will give birth, and they will call him Emmanuel. In chapter 9, Isaiah says, uh, And the government shall be upon his shoulders. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You see, this promised child had been spoken over and over and over again. This was not anything new. God isn't speaking a new word. God is incarnating. In other words, making the word flesh, putting flesh and bones on what he had been saying. That's why we talk about Jesus being the incarnate Word of God. Uh, the gospel writer John helped us with that. You remember, he's, in the beginning was the Word, where it was with God, and the Word was God. And then he goes on to say, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word of God, no longer speaking, but living. The living Word of God. To show us so that we begin to understand in the best way possible what the Word of the prophets, what the word of the first covenant really was all about. You see, God broke the silence in a powerful way at a very important time for the people of God. At a very important time, by the way, for our world. At a very important time for you and for me. You see, in our passage this morning, Ahaz has to make a decision. And he feels, I believe, he feels like he's caught in the middle. What's he going to do? Who's he going to lie with? Who's he going to follow? And this new prophet, uh, Isaiah, you see, we read Isaiah, we think, well, man, it was Isaiah. Why didn't he pay attention to Isaiah? I mean, Isaiah wrote all those chapters. I mean, obviously, Isaiah was the man to listen to. But he wasn't the man to listen to in Ahaz's day. This is the first time Isaiah shows up. And he's trying to convince Ahaz to put his trust in God. Ahaz, don't put your trust in the power of Assyria. Don't put your trust in this alliance with Egypt. Put your trust in God. Ahaz is looking, but there's a superpower to the north, a superpower to the south. We're going to get crushed in between. we got to ally with one or the other. You ever feel that way? Isaiah says, no, 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 no. Put your trust in God. In this very difficult place, Ahaz, who trying to sound righteous, trying to to sound like uh, he's on God's side. When, when, when Isaiah says, so ask for a sign, ask for anything. Can you imagine? I would love this, this challenge. Ask for anything. In the highest height, the deepest depths, anything. I'm not sure what I'd ask for. I've spent all week trying to figure it out. What would I ask for? What would I ask God to do to confirm his word? Would I ask him maybe to raise someone I love from the dead? That'd be pretty exciting. Right up through the ground. That, that would be awesome. W- would I ask him to, to write the words in stars some night so I could actually read it? 
Perhaps I would say, God, I need a few extra days to get all my Christmas gifts. Could you give me a few days? Uh, uh, I, what would you ask for? What, what would be your request? What would be the Christmas gift you'd want from God? Anything, anything. You could have anything in the world. Ahaz, Mr. Righteousness. I'm not going to put God to the test. Now, hear, hear me. The Scripture says don't put the Lord your God to the test. But God is asking him to, get, to, to offer a sign so that God can confirm what the prophet has said. This isn't testing God. This is confirming what the prophet said. There's a difference, right? If I do it so I can say, God, if you're really real, I don't believe you're real. Prove to me you're real. But if I hear God speak to me and I say, okay, God, I need to know for sure. Help me see for sure. There's a different heart, different attitude. One's all about my righteousness. The other's all about who God is. You with me? Very important. Hang on to that. That's going to come up again if we have time. So Ahaz is having to make this decision. God's offering a sign and God says, I'll give you the greatest sign you could ever imagine. You see, this sign goes beyond all other signs. I'm way behind on my... um, slides but uh, this sign goes beyond all other signs all other signs there will be a birth there will be a baby there will be a child and this child is going to prove to you who i truly am this child's going to help you see what the right decision is ahaz you can make any decision you want and if you study the word you'll you'll realize ahaz decides that he's going to lie with assyria he's going he's not going to trust in god he's going to trust in some other human being he doesn't believe that god can do it what about you in the midst of your decisions, are you ready to say, okay, God, I'm going to put your, my trust in you when it comes to this decision. I'm looking for you to give me the answer. I'm looking at this gift, trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong. Help me to see what you want. What would you have me offer to someone else? And even more importantly, what would you have me say? Who are you going to lie with? Are you going to lie with that commercial that makes it look so great? Or or are you going to lie with with some other human being that's whispering in your ear, this is what I want, this is what I need? When you have to make a decision in your life, how are you making that decision? Not just gifts. Let's talk about the real decisions in your life. When you're trying to decide which job to go to, how to deal with the person who works with you, when you're trying to decide how to, to budget your finances. When, when people come to you, i share this story real quickly. I, I sat on the board of the American Baptist Churches USA for a while. I couldn't take it. There was like way too many politics going on. And I remember I had made a stand on a vote. It was kind of interesting. I voted against the general secretary. I didn't think he was doing what needed to be done. And I was the only vote. Okay, some 400 delegates. And I voted no. Everybody else voted yes. I voted no. And you know how at a conference when you sit at a table... And you go to lunch and you come back. Where's everybody sit? Same table, right? Nobody sat with me at the table after lunch. 
I sat by myself. And God, in God's wonderful love, sent some Korean brothers and sisters, American Baptist brothers and sisters, uh, from a Korean church in uh, Philly. And they didn't know that I had voted. So they sat with me. And we had a great time. I got to meet some new people. And sometimes you, you just kind of stand out. You have to make those decisions. I couldn't take it afterwards. There was a political alliance that came to me and said, hey, we saw how you voted. You have a lot of guts. Won't you be on our side? And I'm like, what side? I didn't see you vote no. <laughs> you wouldn't even sit with me at the table. Well, what do you mean? I'm not here to play sides. I'm not here to play politics. I'm here to try to understand God's will for the people of God. And that's the direction we want to go. What about you? When people at work come and whisper in your ear, hey, join with us. We don't like this person, or we don't think this should happen, or this is the way we think it should go. Where do you stand? Do you say, okay, I'll ally with you, or I'll ally with them? Or are you willing to stand for what God calls you to stand for? How do you make those decisions? In the midst of Ahaz's struggle, God says a child will be born and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, by the way, God with us. You see, if we really want to break the silence... We need to begin to stand with God. For God is with us. There was another guy who many years later, uh, close to 730 years later, had a decision he had to make. We see it in Matthew chapter 1. You may remember this story. A guy named Joseph. He he was engaged to this woman named Mary. Um, He was excited getting married all that good stuff. You ever meet people that are in the process of getting married? It's, uh, it's nasty. It's bad. Oh, we're in love, you know. All excited. Oh, we're going to get married. Joseph is all excited until his wife shows up, having gone, by the way, on a trip to visit her, her, her cousin. Uh, she comes back, and there she is, pregnant. And Joseph is conflicted. What's he going to do? What decision should he make, you see? And he's struggling with this decision. He's a righteous man. He wants to do what's right. And yet he still loves Mary, even though he feels like she's been unfaithful. She hasn't, but he feels like she's been unfaithful. So he's ready to divorce her, and he has a choice. He could bring her before the elders and have her stoned, because that was, that was the, the um, requirements of the law. But he doesn't want to do that. He loves her. And so in love, he, he begins to, to debate with himself, and he, he decides, well, I'll just... I'll just divorce her quietly and get out of town and start over. Maybe if I get away, maybe if I I just do something different, it'll be okay. God sends an angel in the midst of his dream. said, listen, Joseph, this child comes from God. Mary hasn't been unfaithful to you. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. You can read it for yourself. Mary hasn't been unfaithful to you. This child is from God. And this child will be a sign. The virgin will be with the child. And will call his name. What was the word? Emmanuel. God with us. 
God with us. And if God is with us, how's that go? You just sang it. Who? It's, oh, we haven't sung it yet? Oh. All right, remember that. <laughs> yeah, if God is with us, then who could stand against us? Joseph, God is going to be with you. That's an incredible gift, an incredible offer that God would actually be with us. God would go with us wherever we turn. In the midst of our decisions, God will be with us. God will give us wisdom. God will help us see. God will help us understand. And I'll tell you what, Joseph had some very important decisions to make right after the birth. You remember that? Because the powers to be wanted to attack. They wanted to go after this this child that was to be a king. And so Joseph had to pick up Mary and his family. She just having given birth and make their way quickly to Egypt to be protected. And God protected them every step of the way. God didn't wipe out the king who was trying to kill Jesus. Could have. But instead, God worked in a very different way. Took them down to Egypt, which, by the way, fulfilled more of the prophecy had been spoken. You see, God was breaking the silence. And I want to do this real quickly because I believe that God is trying to break the silence in our lives. He's trying to speak to us. And He's trying to speak very loudly. He's trying to speak to our world. He's trying to speak to our neighbors. And He's trying to speak to us. It's interesting that when God gives the sign to Ahaz, God doesn't just talk to Ahaz. God talks to the house of David. Did you catch that? You can read that when, when you go. He's talking to the house. He's talking to the people of God. He's talking to not just, the, not just Ahaz himself, but to the people of God, to, to neighbors, to friends. But he's not just talking to them. He's talking to the world. He's giving a sign, not just to them, but to the world. And that's exactly what Jesus is, a sign to the world to help us with our decisions, that we would make decisions that would be in the, in the, in the honor and in the way of the Lord God Almighty. He wants us to know what's best. I want you to think about some of the decisions we make. A lot of the decisions we make are economic Our world is in the process of trying to make decisions uh, for those who find themselves in poverty. And unfortunately, a lot of times uh, we look at ourselves, some of you look at yourself and say, boy, I don't have much. Uh, Go on a mission trip. Go on a mission trip. You'll discover how wealthy you really are. You see, I would suggest to you that none of us here really live in poverty. Have you ever noticed the poverty line that the government sets? The United States government sets this poverty line. Man, I've been poor a long time. (laughs) And I would would guess pretty much everybody in this room. (laughs) Somehow, we're either close to that line or just under it. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? They have no clue. They're the ones that are trying to make decisions to help those who are poor worldwide. And they don't even know what poverty is. There's a an organization that Dan Chadwick has been in contact with a lot. Many of you remember Dan Chadwick, a man of God. And uh, it's called the Poverty Initiative. It's led by a homeless person. Now there's an idea. 
Someone who really understands what poverty is all about. You know what amazes me? We serve a God who understands what poverty is all about. You know why? Because Jesus was born in a manger with next to nothing. Joseph and Mary had next to nothing. They're on the run. They become refugees even. Poverty stricken. And in the midst of that, God's own son, born in poverty, all of a sudden three guys show up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's not a mistake because God is busy providing. And you see, when you put your trust in God and make decisions based on God, financial decisions in your personal life, God will begin to direct you so that you have enough. And if you don't, the neat thing is he'll begin to direct neighbors who are believers, to help you to make sure that you have enough. And if you have more than enough, God will direct you as a believer to find those who don't have enough so that there is enough. Isn't that awesome? Do you you remember the early church? The neat thing in the early church is everybody, the scripture says everybody had everything in common. That doesn't mean they were communists because then it says they sold what they had to make up for what anyone needed. You understand how that works? When God blesses you, it's not for you. It's for somebody else who has a need. We miss that. Hey, look at that. I just got my taxes back. Wow, I'm rich. And what do we do? We go spend it. And we spend it on whom? Ourselves. Instead of saying, God gave me this. Who does God need to bless? I spent way too longer on that than I wanted to. How about this? Uh, there are political decisions that we have to make, and we've talked some about this already. There are political decisions where we work. There are political decisions in our, our world, and our world tries to make those political decisions based on power, just like Ahaz was. Who has the most power? Who's going to win? Who's going to be on top? Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, didn't base his kingdom on power. He based it on strength. Listen to me, there's a difference. If Jesus wanted to base his kingdom on power, he would have established it on the earth. You remember when he talks to Pilate? Pilate says, are you a king? Yes, Jesus says, but my kingdom is not of this world. He could have set it up in Israel. He could have set up his kingdom. He could have said, you will obey me. I am king of kings, Lord of lords. And in a supernatural way, could have made it happen. Boom, just like that. But you see, God is a God who wants you to love him and, re- and interact with him and be a part with him. So he doesn't force you to make those decisions. He loves you and calls you to make those decisions. Jesus calls you to follow him. And he did that. And the the forces to be thought we're going to get rid of this king and they hung him on a cross thinking that they had done away with this kingdom that was a challenge to who they were, that what they wanted to do and who they wanted to be. Listen very carefully. It started in the garden. You remember that? Did you know the Christmas story started in the Garden of Eden? God put that tree in there, tree of the knowledge, of, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. You remember that, right? And Satan said, if you eat of that tree, you will be like God, deciding for yourself, listen, deciding for yourself what's right and what's wrong. And we bought into it. And brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm afraid we're still buying into it. We listen to the powers that be and we make our decisions based on who we think has the best argument. 
Jesus came. Jesus came to bring us peace and to live at peace with others and not to base a kingdom on who has the best argument or the most political clout, but a kingdom based on love. And then lastly, I believe that God is calling us to make relational decisions based on who he is, not based on who we are. You see, a lot of times we make our relational decisions based on what we want or what we think is best. We sometimes make our relational decisions based on a religion that we have built. Listen very carefully. A religion that we have built. You see, we've spent years deciding what's right or wrong based on a a religious concept. If I do what's right, if I do this, then God will be more happy. If I do this, God will be more happy. If I do that, God will be more happy. God says, stop following a bunch of rules. I want a relationship with you. He sends, he comes himself, which is amazing, to meet with us. To have that relationship, that relationship with us. Not a bunch of rules, a relationship. You see, if you base your relationships on a bunch of rules, it's not going to work. I, I can tell you that right, right now. I, I love those who write up those prenuptial agreements. Have you seen that? The rich people, a lot of rich people do that. Uh, the uh, prenup agreement. Well, if you do this, I'll do this. If I, and if you don't do this, then this is the consequences. And, and, and we kind of work our world that way, don't we? Um, you, you, go, you go to uh, engage a person, hire a person for a job. And you hire that person based on a certain contract, right? You make contract with that person. Well, I'll pay you this if you do this, right? And then if they don't do this, you won't pay them. And if, you, if they do do it, you will pay them. And there's this contractual world that we live in. Even on an international level, you see that, right? Uh, we've been working with, uh, supposedly working with North Korea. If you don't do this, then the United States won't do that. Uh, or the alliance, the NATO alliance won't do this, won't do that. Um, how, how's that working for us? I would suggest to you that that, that really doesn't work very well. I would suggest to you that in the end, that that doesn't even work well in business. Because you see, if you base your relationships, if you base your marriage, if you base your relationships at work, if you base your relationships with the world based on rules, those rules will be broken. And the question will be, now what? If you base your relationships on a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you base your relationship on God, not with a bunch of rules, if I do this, 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 and this, then God will be happy. The scripture says we've broken all the rules. If we've broken one, we've broken them all. And furthermore, the scripture says we've all broken the rules. I've broken the rules. You've broken the rules. So what is our hope? We can't get there. We can't be good enough. And we can't. The good news is God sent his son Jesus to be good enough for us so that we could have a relationship with God where God would forgive us and draw us back into his, his, his arms and, and into a relationship that's healthy and whole where we can experience the fullness of life. Do you understand? And God calls us to have that same relationship with each other. 
where our relationships with each other isn't based on a bunch of rules, but it's based on a relationship where we love, really love one another. Now, you and I both know what that causes, right? If I love you, then I open myself up. You could hurt me. If you love me, I could hurt you. That's a scary place to be. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. He loved the world. What'd they do? They killed him. Aren't you glad you came to celebrate Christmas this morning? You see, here's here's the thing. God calls us to loving relationships because, yes, though it opens us up to be hurt, it also opens us up to a whole new world that's filled with grace and mercy that we need desperately, that our neighbors need desperately, that our world needs desperately. We can't do that with a set of rules. We can only do that in relationship with one another and in relationship with our loving Heavenly Father, the Almighty God. So I got a whole bunch of other slides you're not going to see because I want to end this way. You see, God is breaking the silence in our world. He's speaking in powerful ways. And he's not speaking in ways that the world expects. He's speaking in, in a, a, a really odd way. You see, he's picking um, people that you would least expect to speak on his behalf. And he's calling them to speak out. To speak his hope to this world that's hopeless. You know who that person is? That person is you. You see, God is with us. And he's calling us to speak hope to our world that is so hopeless. He calls us to open ourselves up to our neighbors and share with them the love that God has for them through Jesus Christ. And in so doing, open ourselves up, yes, perhaps to be hurt, but also open ourselves up that they might see the hope that love really brings in a world that's so broken and shattered. Our God calls us to speak hope to so many that have so little and say, you know, God really does love you. You feel like you have nothing. I'll tell you what, I serve a God that has everything and he wants to meet your needs. How, now this is where it gets nitty gritty, right? How can I in the name of Jesus help you? How can I offer to you? When we were in, in the church in Livermore Falls, I just got to brag a little bit. I don't know if I've told you this story or not, but there, there was a couple um, in the church. They'd come on and off. She was bipolar, undiagnosed. Um, and if you know anything about the bipolar disorder, uh, when, when they're on the upswing, um, they tend to spend a lot of money, or some of them do. And, and she was one of those. She, she loved to spend money. And, and she, she went to Rena Center about three weeks before Christmas. And she, she emptied the store. No, I mean, pretty close. She, all this stuff came home. I went to visit them. I was amazed. Where would you get all this stuff? Rent-a-center, she said. And I looked at her husband. And I saw the pain in his heart. Because, you see, he knew they didn't have money for all that stuff. And sure enough, a week before Christmas, Rent-a-center showed up with their van and picked every piece up and put it back in the van and took it back to Rent-a-center. And they had nothing for Christmas Nothing. 
And I went back over to the house, and we sat there, and we cried. And she cried. She, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. And, and she was struggling. And, you know, what are we going to do? And her husband was working three jobs. It wasn't like he wasn't trying. He was working three jobs. He says, I don't know what to do. I have nothing for my kids for Christmas. I said, give me a list. What do they want? These were teenage kids, by the way. What do they want? So a couple days later, I got a list. New pair of skis, uh, Nintendo, or whatever it was back then, Xbox, whatever it was back then. Um, these were not little gifts. And then, of course, there was the, well, I'd like a hat or clothes or whatever. So I went to this group in the church, a Bible study. These people loved God. I knew they loved God. And I said, listen, we've got a couple. I can't tell you who they are, but they're really struggling. Uh, They have nothing for Christmas, uh, things beyond their control. They gave me a list. We probably can't fill the whole list, but if if there's something you could take that we could bring Christmas to this family. And two days before Christmas, I went to this Bible study, and every single thing on the list was sitting in the living room. And so Christmas Eve, the couple come in. I say to the father, you're going back to your house. And I had one of the people from the Bible study grab all that stuff. And when they left for the Christmas Eve service, that person went right into the driveway and waited. And when the husband got home, right in the middle of the Christmas Eve service, they sat there, wrapped everything, wrote their names on the tag, mom and dad, put it under the tree. And Christmas morning, these kids, not knowing, not having a clue what had happened, were able to celebrate in a way, and I couldn't help but celebrate that the people of God were the people of God. God was with us, and that couple didn't know the presence of God any more powerfully than in that moment. You see, that's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? God coming into our lives and giving us hope when we don't have hope. God coming into our lives. And our world is desperate for hope. All you have to do is look at the news. Oh, it drives me nuts. How about you? I can hardly stand to watch it anymore because there are so many people without hope. And our neighbors need hope. You have neighbors that live next to you that have no hope. Oh, they think things are going okay, but if you really sit down and talk to them, you watch. They'll be having relationship problems, economic problems. They'll be having political problems at work. Sometimes they're mean people, aren't they? (laughs) Just angry people because they have no hope. And you live next door filled with hope. What are you going to do with it? It's Christmas. Make a decision. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to put your trust in? How are you going to meet their needs? How are you going to be God with us? We serve a God who loves us. And he is sharing his presence with us so that we can share it with others. I have a question for you specifically. Is God with you? And that's not based on how good you are. Listen very carefully. God wants to be with you. The question is, will you allow him to be central in your life, to be with you? Or are you going to do it on your own? You have a choice. You can decide to try to be good on your own, but i got to be honest with you. The Scripture is very clear. The Word speaks it loudly. You cannot be good enough for God. 
The good news is God came to welcome you into his presence and he paid the price for everything you've ever done wrong. He's paid it so that you can be right. He came as righteousness so that you could be righteous if you would just put your trust in him. But the the decision's up to you. He's not gonna force his way in. He came in a manger. He came as a baby. He didn't come as a conquering king. He came as a baby so that you would have a choice. What are you gonna choose? The decision is yours. I pray that this Christmas you'd receive the greatest gift of the world. God with us, Jesus Christ. He wants to be in your life. He wants to be at work in your life so that you could experience the great joy. Remember what the angels said to the shepherds? Good news of what? Great joy, that's what he said. Good news of great joy. God with us, hope for you, for your neighbors, for our world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for our time together this morning. Oh, Christmas is such an incredible time. And yet, Lord, so many stresses, so many decisions that have to be made. And Lord, the temptation would be to make those decisions based on what we think is right what we think is best, what we want. This morning, Lord Jesus, change our hearts. Help us to base our decisions, not just at Christmas, but every day on you, listening for your voice, following your way. We pray, Father, that you would be with us. We pray even more that we would be with you that we would experience this Christmas the joy that comes from trusting in you. Lord, we pray for those who have never made a decision in regards to you. They may have come to church this morning hoping to, to feel good about Christmas, and that's great, but Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that they would realize that you're not just about feeling good about Christmas. You love them desperately, and you would have them make a decision to follow you. We pray that they would do that this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.